This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. We got a record player into our house recently, right? And because all of our parents' generation have given away their records, uh, it means you start a vinyl collection from scratch. And what I didn't know about the vinyl industry was that it's not like how CDs used to be where you can basically buy anything. It's these much more limited press runs. I presume you already knew this, Shag. And so even for big albums, there's every chance you won't be able to find... uh, I wish Thriller wasn't the album jumping to mind, but it is. (laughs) (laughs) I love it how it's like when you... Like all you want to do is think of a non-problematic artist and your brain's like... R. Kelly, Michael Jackson, Baby, Marilyn Manson, they're all you can think about. Um, and so you're sort of browsing through like vinyl collection places and you're like, yeah, I guess one of the moderately good Beatles albums will be a vibe. And I guess this Miles Davis one might be fun to put on in the background and say you own. And basically the point I'm coming to is that we're leaning back into the album, right? As mm-hmm. a work, like yeah. a fairly limited um, time fairly complete scope and fairly completely conceived piece of musical art that we often talk about here on this horror movie podcast. And I feel like in the sort of week slash fortnight that Donda and Certified Loverboy have descended on us, I've sort of been very reflective on the flabby um, streaming playlist version of what we now call an album and the tighter, more highly edited, more finely conceived version that is vinyl. And I was like, oh, obviously the older version is better than the newer version. And so that means that any view I hold is now irrelevant because I'm looking back to the past like it's a golden age. So you no longer have to listen to any opinions I have, Shag. It's liberating. See, this is weird because I am going to start this by saying that something you said last week has stuck with me. And Sick. This, is, this is how I want to lead into the film we're doing today. And it's the reason I chose today's film. Mm. Because you spoke about last week how one of the true dangers, and I like, I know that sounds like I'm a mum group fear mongering, <laughs> telling people not to watch films because they'll rot your brains or whatever. Yeah. But there is a danger of watching some horror films and not being ready for them, yep. and something in there damaging your psyche, right? And that's absolutely true. And in fact, that's a reason why I don't bring everything to the table in this podcast. I've always oh, said there is... Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, okay. Now, Pete, 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 Pete. <laughs> It's absolutely true. There are things I will never do on Spooko. And there are films that I, I haven't actually seen. I've only read about them. And mm. stupid me being like, I want to know all about them. I want to read. And I've read things that's like, oh, wow, I really wish I hadn't read that. And I wish that didn't exist, but it does. Um, you know, and that is a danger with horror. It's like, I, we, we mentioned it before, but Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built... It's stupid, but I also wish I hadn't seen some of the scenes in that film. They make me feel uncomfortable about the world. And, you know, that's Lars... Like, Lars von Trier would be like, sick, I succeeded. But it's a danger, right? Yeah. 
But on the flip side, mm. I think horror is the only genre that has... And I don't know how to describe it. Uh, you know, we haven't done a lot of Italian horror, and I'd like to do some in the future. But mm. there's a real focus in Italian horror on grotesque beauty. So images and feelings of things that that are, like, awful and horrifying, but there's something really pleasing about the way they're framed or the way that they're dressed or whatever, right? And there are scenes in horror films that are horrifying and awful, but they stick with you for the right reasons. There are these little moments, these little things that you're just like, oh, wow, that's really fucked with me, and that's going to stay with me, but in a really pleasant way, right? And I don't yes. think any other... like I don't think you can compare that to a really good joke in a comedy or a really nice emotive moment in a drama. Like, I don't know. Like I, I know yeah, we I suspect the only analogy is a twist. Yeah, yes. like a twist ending. Yes. To be like, whoa, there I was, and whoa, like Bill Bruce Willis's wedding ring rolled out. You like, you know, is about the kind of vibe. A hundred percent, right, 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 right. So today's film has three of those moments. It it, it was oh, shit. it's it's quite a short film, and even then, it kind of dragged a little bit. But towards the end, there were three moments where, at the end of it, I was like, okay, this is why I love horror because horror is the only genre that would have moments like that in a film and to have three at the end just to pay off you putting in the effort to watch this film just makes it all okay uh so today we're doing a pretty awesome a24 horror film from last year from a british director in fact it was her first film rose glass uh today we're doing a psychological religious horror called saint maud so, streaming over albums, or where, where did you land it? <laughs> Dear God, your presence graces the air, and soon everyone will see you. Hi, you, Maud? Yes, hi. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh, it's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little savior. I thought that was you. What are you up to? I'm a private carer. You're still nursing? What? I don't know what happened. All the good girls go to hell. Cause even got herself. I just want to see you loosen up. I've got more important things on my mind. <laughs> There's my little safe. Maud, he isn't real. <laughs> Nothing worthwhile comes easily. You must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen. I'm ready and open. I feel fuller of your love than ever before. I have a responsibility. Oh yes, of course. Life and death on another level. What if I'm getting it all wrong? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yep. What? What's your question? I really love. No, no, no. I really love your visceral reaction to that trailer. But also, oh. I'm curious because I was really excited going to this film because we've talked about before. Often with a horror film, you know, like a good horror film, you should write what it's about in a tweet, and then you watch a trailer and it's like, yeah, I know there's a purge coming. Everyone gets to kill people. Blah 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 yep. blah. Do you know what Saint Maud is about? No. Nah. No, nah, and I'm like, and I'm uh, well. My guess is going to be wrong. You know, a misguided palliative care nurse who murders. You know, like a whisper of the um, exorcism of Emily Knowles or whatever it was called. You know, yes. look, same same universe. But like, do A twenty four? Do they miss? Like, <laughs> or, like, or do they put out like fifty films a year and we only remember the good ones? I think I think it's probably the latter. I think yeah, okay. it's probably you know that Drake version of history yep. and CLB. Like, I just don't think history is going to be kind to it. It's not very good. The line where Drake's like, "Oh, not me too." Oh, the me too line. Oof. I feel like that's almost strategic though. Like that does feel like it's designed for the internet. It's just designed for people to f- like freak out about it. That's the in the French ass restaurant. Hurry up with my damn croissant. Damn croissant. That's yeah. the line that it's like. I know that people are going to talk about it. But anyway, look, this isn't a Drake podcast, even though sometimes it feels a little bit like that. You only live twice is funny because I saw this interview with Drake from a couple of years ago where he's like, people are always talking about like, why can't you make music like you used to? Like, why can't you make another album like this? And I'm like, man, like, I'm sorry, I'm the, I'm not a time machine. I can't take you back to when you just graduated college and were dating that girl. I can't make you feel young again. Like, I'm sorry. And I don't want to. It's not my job. Like, I'm moving forward. You need to be moving forward too. Those old albums exist. You can go back and listen to them. But I'm sorry, it's just not where I'm at. Which I sort of thought was a reasonably mature response. of like, hey, thanks. I still got lots of good music in me, but I'm not going to go retrace the steps. And, of course, the, the song I'm most enjoying is You Only Live Twice, which is just a song that could have come out 10 years ago mm. of <laughs> just Rick Ross, Drake and Wheezy just flexing on like a chipmunky old school soul beat that I completely love because it tugs at my nostalgia strings, but it's just a, just a grimly hypocritical line of Drake just being like, yeah, I probably should just retrace some of my old steps. <laughs> <laughs> so this film, I'm really glad you had that hyper-visceral reaction to the trailer because... This film is, like, it's it's quite tense. It has some pretty full-on moments. And I went a little bit deep into the making of it because it's the first film of this director, Rose Glass, who I'd never mm. heard about before. And she has a really cool backstory that feels very at home with this Spooko podcast because she talks about how growing up she was always attracted to films that were a little bit disturbing, pushed the boundaries. And then in her words, which I loved and is such a good way to round up the films that I try to bring to Spooko. She was always attracted to films that she felt like she wasn't supposed to be watching or she wasn't allowed to be watching. That that idea, and, you know, that links back to what I was saying at the start because there's that danger because it's like you could potentially see something that could, you know, you You could see something amazing that you're going to love, but you could see something that could break your brain. Like how exciting is that danger, right? Is she busy at the moment? Because she could be you know, charcuterie. <laughs> she could be. She could really help us out. This film is quite like it doesn't pull punches to the fact where she was also talking about, and this this came up when we when we spoke to Megan about mm. female horror directors mm. and like you know what the differences are and the fact that she was like quite surprisingly women are used to gore and blood in their lives yes. more often than men. So mm. the idea that 
they'd be uncomfortable with that is like a patriarchal sort of societal idea yeah. rather than a real idea. And then Rose brings this to life because there's this really great interview with her where she talks about how a lot of the men interviewing her about this film mm. were like, now, were you okay with, you know, some of the gore oh, or some of the shocking off. moments yeah, in yeah. it? And her answer is, I wrote this thing. Like, <laughs> like, like this is my film. <laughs> and you're still asking me if I'm okay yep. with that. Anyway, so I think it's so interesting to, to actually cover a film by a female director because obviously it is going to come from a different place but not in the way you expect. One mm. of the things she made a point about this film was she wanted to make sure that we had a deep empathy for all of the characters, including the antagonists. And it, it's one of those films where it's, it's, it's really hard to draw an easy Goody line between line, good yeah. lines, you know, which is, which is really cool and really interesting yeah. and I think makes St. Maud quite interesting it has a lot of good things going for it like we said before it's a24 it's 84 minutes oh mm, mwah. yeah uh, uh, all the like celebration emojis and whatever else for that like 84 minutes uh, uh, look the only thing is shag it just looks and sounds a tiny bit playish that's my one bit of negative feedback feels a tiny bit playish well look there it, it's a first film and so yeah, okay. it's not completely successful uh, like for the first half of it, I was calling it Saint Board because was, <laughs> you, you could see that it was trying to build tension. But one of the issues was they use her, they use Saint Maud's in a monologue, and even though that really helps with working out what's going on because it's quite a small ensemble cast, mm. it also takes away a little bit of the tension because we know always what she's thinking. This like reminds me of the greatest diss of Big Sean ever, which is just referring to him as Big Yawn. Which I just think is the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> to be like, here comes Big Yawn. <laughs> so it's not it's in no way a perfect film. It's a great film to do on Spooko. Uh 84 minutes Ugh. and a lot of its atmosphere. So this is an incredibly short wikipedia synopsis so i'm going to do my best to fill it in but i also do think this is a great starter film if you're listening and this podcast is starting to you know pique your interest in actually watching one and by letting you know the scary bits that happen at the end you'll be much better prepared to actually watch this thing he's putting the feet in the shoe and like is that one of the scary bits i mean that's a good bit but that's not one of my top three moments in this film like this 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 film has moments it really does this is absolutely an album of a film but it's an album with some key tracks that you keep coming back to like you can put on this you can easily put this album on or you can listen to these songs you know it's a very versatile yes completely get it so the film starts with a nurse named katie and there's just it like it, it it's very impressionistic the way it's shot so it's not clear but there's this impression that she fails to save the life of a patient in her care despite attempting CPR. Now, this is really important because, again, I read in an interview with Rose where she was like, I never wanted to create a film that was like, you know, that classic horror film trope where there's this one event in their life and thus that puts them on a trajectory. So she's not trying to be like, this is everything, but it's clearly a very important moment because this is what we start with, right? Yep. Now, keep in mind... This nurse name is Katie. I also double checked with Adele this morning because Adele worked in emergency. Because I was like, mm. like there's a risk of working in emergency of burnout and mm. like you know some sort of trauma. And Adele was like, yeah, no, no, that's totally true. That really happens. And she sent me some links. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is it's not necessarily PTSD. It's not necessarily post traumatic stress disorder. 
it's Isn't something it vicarious? called it's like yeah exactly it's vicarious yeah. trauma because yeah. you're surrounded by others going through trauma yep. right yep. so it's not necessarily your trauma but you're surrounded by trauma all the time and thus that has an effect on you and what's interesting when you read these articles it doesn't just have an effect on the way you approach the world it has mm. an effect on your belief systems that's what i think is crazy that's awesome yeah like lawyers we have to get like i don't get too sidetracked but if you practice in certain areas you are not allowed to practice in them um, if you don't get regular counseling and you have to be like rotated out. So if you deal with things like um, the exploitation of children or things like medical negligence, wrongful birth, like upsetting stuff, then um, there are really tight guidelines on, on how much time you are allowed to expose yourself to. And, and then even there are evidentiary rules. This might sound a bit weird and where the parties can agree that one or two images is representative of the 11,000 images that a jury might have to see. And so, like, it's, yeah, I completely get it. It's just terrifying. And, I mean, that comes back to our point about horror films, right? Like, Mm. you are always putting yourself at risk of exposing your brain to, I mean, even though it's acted trauma, it's still trauma that could affect you in a negative way. Yeah, pretty good reason not to watch them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so sometime later... Katie, now referring to herself as Maud, has become a devout Roman Catholic, although the version of Christian she is feels like its own thing. Okay. Like, it very much feels like she's made her own version of Christianity, which, mm. lol, people have done all the, like, you know, Martin Luther and, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all these people are like, it's, it's that classic tradition of Christianity where you just make it your own. Yeah. And that's kind of what she's done. She's got her own sort of Maudish religion uh, around it. So she's now working as a private palliative care nurse in an English seaside town. I think it's Blackpool. I could be wrong. Yeah, there was Coney Island there. It looks like Blackpool. Yeah, okay, cool. Mm. So she's assigned to care for Amanda. Now, Amanda is a dancer and choreographer from the US who is terminally ill with stage 4 lymphoma. Now, the implication is she's from London and she lived in London and you see little bits of like little uh, artifacts from her career, like posters and images and press clippings and things. And at some point she has friends come over and they're like, why are you living here? And it's like, it's like she's, she's not dealing well with being terminally ill. Like, you know, and, and as, as you would, you know, like, I have, again, like we talked about my fantasies about like now that I have a child about all these things I would Mm. do in certain situations. The worst part of me is how sure I am that I'm going to deal with my impending death really well. Like part of me is like, I'm just going to be like, oh, had a good run. Oh, well, guys. I'm super not. I'm like, I'm not ready to sign out of this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I have to go first. (laughs) And like, obviously, like obviously this is post golden child mm. having all of their major milestones this is absolutely making sure Adele and my family and life together has reached those like they, i'm not talking about like dying right now it's just this idea in my head like mm. probably my biggest bravado thing that it's based on nothing is that when i am on my deathbed i'll be super cool with it and like be calming everyone around me like yeah. everyone will be crying yeah. and i'll be like guys it's, it's cool don't worry about the part of the fantasy is everyone will be like oh no shag yes, this, is, yes. this is so that's awful fun. <laughs> and i'm like the calming presence in the room and they're getting strength from me they're being like oh wow he's yeah just... even in even in death <laughs> you have the empathy and warmth to make it to care for us okay so Amanda is embittered by... Okay, so that's a good way of describing it. So she's embittered by her fate and confesses to Maud that she fears the oblivion of death. 
mm. which uh, which you know I like I think is a important really thing well. to can, contend with at some point in your life. But it's not a risk you'd face, as you just said. Before, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm relaxed. So Maud comes to believe that God has tasked her with saving the atheist Amanda's soul. And we know this through her inner monologue. Yeah. So Maud reveals Is to Amanda... Is it super literal? It's like, oh, mate, I want to save her soul. Uh, she's, she's not a... Co- <laughs> like, it would be hilarious if St. Maud was cockney. <laughs> You're right there, Amanda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, okay. She's more that other London, that very like, oh, uh, hello. Uh, yes. Essex, Essex girl sort of. No, no. <laughs> I love you drying out your accents. <laughs> it's it's more like the sort of proper, I guess, toff is the yeah, okay, term. Cool. That Middle sort class. of vibe. So Maud reveals to Amanda that she sometimes feels God's present and she and Amanda appear to be overcome with ecstasy as they pray together. So this is a really important thing. So Maud has what the director calls godgasms where when she feels god's presence she kind of has this like this pleasurable moment and it's never really described but it very much looks like an orgasm it very much looks like when harry met sally sort of vibe but yeah, without so- like with without it's 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 they're always awkward moments and they have this moment together where she asks you know, Amanda to pray with her. And then she has this moment. And then Amanda seems to have one too. And Maud's like, fuck yes, I am breaking through. I am doing the Lord's work. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Amanda is seeing Carol, who is a younger, we assume sex worker, but mm. we're not sure. But she is a younger companion who visits Amanda and Amanda pays her for sex. And I, I guess obviously that's, that's a sec, but like, we don't yeah. know if it's like she's a regular or if she's just, this is just a bit of a relationship that Amanda and Carol have. Mm. So Maud thinking that she's breaking through to Amanda implores Carol to stop visiting as she believes Amanda's soul in jeopardy and like they're making progress. So there's kind of a bit of a moment, like maybe halfway through the film, where it feels like Maud's on it. Like, you know, Maud has like a bit of a depressing life. She lives in this awful one-bedroom apartment that's just super depressing and could actually be really nice if they dressed it up, but it's just not. (laughs) It's just not. It's got its own sort of little, like, holy Christian shrine that she's made, and that's kind of it. But, but, But outside of that, she's doing errands for Amanda, She's visiting her. She seems happy when they're doing their, like, exercises that they sort of have to do together. And in general, things seem to be looking up for our nurse Maud. But she's invited to Amanda's birthday party, which she discovers that Carol's been invited. So she thought that Carol was out of the picture, but she's not out of the picture. So she becomes really upset. And then in front of everyone... Amanda informs the partygoers that Maud tried to drive Carol away and mocks the young nurse for saving her soul. It is an awful moment. Like, it's just... You, you really feel for Maud in this moment. Yeah. It's just awful. Maud gets so upset that she slaps Amanda and is <laughs> immediately dismissed from her job. Sick. Right? So, so I think a couple of things have happened here that I, like, I, I just want to pause and talk about. Mm. because one of the other things, because after this film, I watched it in a group and we were all kind of divided whether it was good or not. Like definitely the scenes toward the end were amazing, but we weren't sort of sure. But the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. And then Adele made a really good point where she was talking about how 
schizophrenia manifests and how hallucin like or, or you know like hallucinations in you know schizophrenic or full-on um episodes of you know a, like a strong bipolar disorder might mm. manifest hallucinations aren't just visual and oral they can manifest as a smell or yeah. they can manifest as like a feeling mm. or or in really common yeah, like it, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's really common to hear a broadcast over the radio or over TV that's a yeah. voice, often God speaking directly to you. Yep. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is horror is indebted to America. A lot of culture is indebted to America. America gives so much good to the world. But mm. one of the damaging things that we're starting to see now is the idea of individualism, which seems mm. to have been championed over the last sort of hundred years by the idea of America as a country where like everyone can succeed. And you're starting and to the see- victory of capitalism over socialism, like in, in a broad way of that. I ought to be free to pursue my own yeah. thing. You go look after yourself. Yeah. And, and you forget when you when you purely talk about, you know, individualism and it's, it's up to me and I can do whatever I want. You forget about the importance of community. And one of the key themes of this film, as you'll see, is that every one of us has a moral obligation to the people around us, not just the people we know, not just to the people who confide in us, but if we see someone and if we see someone's in trouble, really, mm. as a people, like if you if you break humanity back, you know, strip away society, strip away culture and strip it back to us as a people, for the sake of our children and our, our, our species moving forward, we have like an obligation to look after each other when we see each other in trouble. And something that really happens in this film is more again and again is let down. Like there's clearly something going on and Maud is let down. So clearly the hospital system wasn't good for her. So now she's doing this. She was with this, this creating this companionship with this woman, Amanda, and then she just lets her down when she's, you know, really revealing a big part of herself that clearly is problematic, but to be let down like that is so, and that isn't the only time this happens to Maud. Yeah, okay. So believing that God has rejected her, Maud visits a pub to find companionship, but is rejected by most of the people she meets. Now, this is another really, really important point. So at some point, this isn't in the Wikipedia synopsis, but at Mm. some point she runs into a woman on the street who's like, Katie, Katie, what's going on? And in fact, it's in the trailer. And she's like, like, what are you doing? I didn't realize you'd be around here. And then when Maud says that she's a nurse, she was like, oh, you're, you're still nursing. Oh, and it's like that surprise and doesn't really say why, yeah. but it's just a little bit like that surprising. Anyway, so when Maud feels like she's been rejected by God and everyone's rejected her, she decides to call this girl to be like, because this girl was like, hey, maybe we, maybe we should do something. And she calls this girl. And when she speaks to her, she's like, yeah, I'd love to go out, but I just thought it was funny. And the girl's like, why? And she's like, well, because you didn't really treat me nicely when we were in uni and when we were working together. So there's an element that she's been sort of like, there's an element of that yeah. was like a false relationship and people were just letting us slide there. Right. So she goes to this pub, she dresses up and it's, it's the most, Oh God, this sequence is just so tough to watch oh because God. Yeah, okay. she's sitting there in her dress. She buys a beer. She sees a couple of people like laughing. She tries to like laugh and like, they're like, ha, ah, and then they look at her and they're like, what the fuck? And she stops. Then she sees a, like, a dude across the room, makes eyes with him, goes oh, into a God. bathroom, gives him a really awkward hand job, 
Uh, Rose also talks in, you know, in interviews with this film where it's like that moment is kind of supposed to be funny. And it is kind of funny, but it's also that moment where it's like she's not like a Puritan. She just doesn't really understand. Like she's yep. so isolated and so separate from the world and she yeah. just can't sort of fit in. And she had this thing going with God, but now she feels like God's rejected her. So she tries to go back into this world, but it's not accepting her anyway. Anyway, she eventually goes home with a man and they're having sex. And while they're having sex, she's on top and she has her hands on his chest and she has this weird, and it's really well done, this flashback where she's giving this person CPR and then breaks through their sternum, like right through. It's so full on. And then she snaps back and falls off this dude and she's like, I've got to stop. Don't touch me. And this is like, okay, this is like, this uh, is really tough. Yeah, he yeah. just keeps going. And what, what I think is important and where this comes, like what's interesting. And I don't know if this comes from having a female director or, you know, whatever, but there's what's so awful about this moment is it's a really sort of true moment where the guy who's raping her would be seen by society and his friends and probably her as just a normal guy and someone she went home with. He's not, he's not a bad, he's not a scary, evil rape. Like he's just this guy that who is raping her. Yep. And so he rapes her. And then when he's leaving taunts her by revealing, he remembers her hooking up with a friend of his during her hedonistic past. So, So we know she had this past. We know she used to be called something. We know this is now this new version of her. So while out walking, she encounters Amanda's new nurse and has this conversation where she tries to find out a bit more about her, but storms off when she realizes that her replacement is enjoying a really good relationship with Amanda. So she goes back to her decrepit apartment and she begs for a sign from God. And this is, okay, so this is the first truly great, awesome moment from the film that you wouldn't see in another film. And I, yes. I'm going to share with you the oh, YouTube shit. clip of this. Yeah, okay. It's not, it's not super spooky, mm. but what this is, this is like the whole film where like she's nuts, it's all in her head, and then we get to this point and then finally God speaks back to her. I don't know what language this is. I know the biblical languages are like what? Hebrew, Greek like Sumerian. It's going to be something like that. All right, I'm here. I'm in. All right. It's all in black. I've got Maud's face. I've got Maud looking over to a shrine. I'm hunting. My old and the same. And we in a minute. I'll come let you out more. I think we both have some set my game and in a good beat on. Never wait, plant and dot. Man, dad. Rather to make you team law for the Naru Bathmoy. You don't have to watch the whole thing, but how fucking cool is that? Yeah, great voice, great vibe. Just like, and just. Think about you wait through this whole film and you're like, oh, this is just a film about a very lonely, very sad woman. And then all of a sudden you hear God speak to her and all of a sudden you are just thrown off your axis, right? And so basically God appears to tell her to be ready for an act that will demonstrate her faith. So straight away she's like, 
I had it all wrong the whole time. God hadn't rejected me. He was just testing oh, me. God, yes, okay, I'm back. Yeah. I've got something. Uh, then that night, she has another sort of Godgasm moment where she appears to sort of levitate off the ground in the middle of this storm where she thinks, okay, I'm like, I'm finally, you know, I've become a vessel for God, right? And it's at this point that she grabs all the thumbtacks, puts, puts, puts them in her shoes, and then steps slowly onto her shoes. So she's walking on, so she's feeling pain. All, you know, it's that mea culpa. It's that whipping your shoulders sort of thing. It's that, it's that very literal interpretation of being the first sin or whatever. What are they called again, those people? Oh, that like, were in that very boring novel that got extremely popular. Oh, the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. The Illuminati. No. 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 I've forgotten. It's some weird like hyper, hyper Catholicism of like I've just strapped around some spikes. Nice <laughs> then. Right. Okay. So, so that's the mm. first amazing moment in this film, right? Yes. And it just like as soon as I saw that, I was like, wow. And there's that there's that feeling sometimes when you like a genre or where you're part of a movement and you're like i picked the right movement i picked the right sub i picked the right genre like this is me this is for me anyway so now it's like okay shit is happening Let's go, yeah. so that night Maud dresses herself in a makeshift robe so like proper like you know bethlehem style sort of beige sort of thing and wearing rosary beads she goes to amanda's house she waits for the new care nurse to leave and then she enters She finds Amanda in bed, weakened. Amanda, at this point, asks forgiveness for mocking her faith, and Maud joyously reminds her of the time they experienced God's presence. When they, you know, and at this point, Amanda reveals that she faked the experience and that God isn't real. So there are these moments that happen in this film that aren't in the the Wikipedia synopsis mm. in which faces just seem to elongate a little and it's just before a cut and it just freaks you out, right? And Maud's face does it at one scene earlier on. At this point, Amanda's face sort of does it. And I guess there's a cut to Maud's face to be like, what's she going to do? What's she going to do when Amanda tells her God isn't real? Like, is she going to try mm. and reassure her? Is it going to fuck with her worldview? Then... This is like, this This scene maybe happens in 15 seconds. Amanda all of a sudden takes on this demonic presence. Like her face contorts and changes. And she's basically like, you fool. I have this soul now. Why did you think God would save you? I own this woman. She's mine. Ha ha ha. And then like with superhuman strength, launches, launches Maud right across the room into a chair. Sick. Okay. Yeah. 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 This point, Maud just reaches out. She's now in a delirious frenzy, but she grabs a, I guess, like it's a knife, it's a letter opener, it's something. She grabs it and jumps oh, on shit, Amanda shit. and probably does. stabs uh, her a hundred times. Just stab, stab, like face, God. neck, chest, like every, like just stab, 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 stab. And it just, this whole, like from her, from her becoming a demon to launching Maud <sighs> to Maud just jumping on and just stabbing the shit out of this woman. And it's the second moment where it's like, it's so shocking and so unbelievably unexpected and such a tonal shift for the rest of the film that it just, it just picks you up and like this moment throws you across the room. (sighs) So, in the morning, Maud seems really happy and she's briefly seen in her kitchen 
with angel wings. With giant glowing, not like not like she's put it like actual glowing wings if you're an angel. So she wanders onto a beach and sometimes she has the wings, sometimes she doesn't. So she wanders onto the beach and she's got this liquid with her. You don't know what it is, but I think at some point we've seen in her apartment acetone so we know it's flammable. She douses herself with acetone before horrified onlookers. So she utters her last words in Welsh, glory to God, as she grabs a lighter and people around her are being like, no, 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 don't do it. She lights it. And then all of a sudden, the onlookers all kneel in awe as Maud's wings grow and she looks up to the sky with grace, right? So there's just this huge crowd of extras on this beach all kneeling before the now sainted Maud with her wings as God clearly shines a pillar of light down her. Then, then, oh my God, then, okay, in the final half second of the film, this is the shortest moment and it is a scene that will stay with you forever. We briefly cut to a burning Maud screaming in agony. And then that's the end. Magic. That same Maud, what did you think? Magic. Normally I say uh, seeing someone's internal dialogue or seeing their dreams or seeing their fantasies is fucking boring, but I feel like this is a great exception to that rule where, I mean, like there's a degree of whodunit, there's a degree of the rug being pulled out from under us. Um, Ah, magic. Real proper magic. Great storytelling. I really enjoyed it. Should we just cancel charcuterie if we've got to compete with this? Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? Derbyn y prawf ola yma, ac fe fyddwn yn wir gyda'n gilydd. How will I know what to do? Ti wastad wedi gwybod.